Welcome to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We hope the following program will challenge you and encourage you in your faith journey. You marry another a person who loves Christ, but that's not the only thing when it comes to uh, connecting spiritually. It's also your beliefs. It's also your practices, and it's also your convictions or your commitments. And so you need to explore all three of those areas. So you could both say, we're Christians, you know, and that's wonderful. But what about those practices? How does that translate into things that you will do then that will be a demonstration of your love for God? Are you going to go to church together? Are you going to give? Are you going to be in a small group with others? You know, what is it? Are you going to do some Bible studies together? Do you pray together? All those kinds of practices and, and commitments, what level of commitment are you going to make in your relationship with God and with each other? That's David Gudgel, and he's with us today on Focus on the Family to talk about those important things you need to consider before getting engaged. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. John, choosing the person you want to spend the rest of your life with is probably... One of the biggest decisions you're ever going to make, mm-hmm. aside from accepting Christ as yeah. your personal Lord and Savior, which I hope you've done that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm really curious, uh, what was that moment for you like when you proposed to Dina? That was, Jim, a non-moment. I really, what does that mean, I never really proposed. We went from if we get married to when we get married. I do remember asking her dad one night if... If I could marry her, the next morning, it just was like, yeah, we're going to get married. I, I didn't give her much of a choice. Did you have panic when I, you talked I, to her dad? Uh, yeah, yes. Okay, good. I was going to say, that'd be normal. But I waited until he was tired. <laughs> you were already planning. I, I, was, I was good about it. I did all that. I went to Jean's uh, mom and dad and asked. And then I took, actually, the ring, and we went up to Santa Barbara. There was a huge oak tree there. I thought, okay, that's what I want my marriage to be represented by, this huge oh, oak tree good. that'll never be blown over, you yeah. know. So it all worked. And she said yes, nice. which was amazing. <laughs> well, Dina would tell you, I never really asked her, but she said yes anyway. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, we're looking forward to today. Mm-hmm. We are. And we've invited David Gudgel to be our guest. Uh, he's really excited about preparing couples for engagement. He serves as the Director of Church Health for Northern California Venture Church Network, after ministering for 40 years as a lead pastor in California and Arizona. David is a husband, father, grandfather to 11 grandchildren and author of the book, Before You Get Engaged. And that's going to be the foundation for our conversation today. We have copies of that book here at Focus on the Family. Just give us a call, 800, the letter A in the word family, or stop by focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. David, welcome to Focus. Welcome back. Well, thank you. It's, it's really <laughs> fun to come back. Let, let's start with that distinction between uh, like premarital counseling and here you're hitting the step before, like pre-engagement. And is there something people need to know about the pre-engagement? Well, I think so. <laughs> That's why we're That's talking, right? Yes. You've written the book. There's not many books out there in that space. There's a lot of premarital yeah. materials, but this is the question before you pop it there. Yeah, most churches have premarital counseling. Very few churches have pre-engagement counseling of some kind or pre-engagement classes. It's difficult either way. You know, as soon as you put it like a blurb in the bulletin, which we don't have anymore, the e-letter or whatever it is, as soon as you put that in there, uh, it kind of 
causes a little bit of anxiety uh, to be thinking about that if a couple's beginning to get serious. And so you have to creatively figure out how to suggest this is a good idea. It really is. Yeah. In that regard, uh, you counsel a lot of young couples. Uh, What's that distinction between, again, the you know, the premarital counseling, they've already decided to be engaged. You're taking one step back and saying, well, before you are engaged, here are things you need to think about. What's some of the research that you've seen with the young couples before they ask the question, what are they experiencing? Hmm. Yeah, I, I know that if they're getting serious, they're beginning to think about, is this a possibility that we might get married someday? Right. You know, so I think that even early on in relationships, becomes something that they're thinking about and maybe even talking about. Um, and if it not, then they're going to perhaps move in that direction at some point. So to get into their minds the thought that a little bit of help could be helpful for them as they move down this road in their relationship uh, is uh, something that we've been trying to help couples see that there's a lot of value to this. So yeah. it really comes out of my son's experience. And you've written this with Brent, your son. Yeah, he Brent. He couldn't be here today, but. Yeah, he's actually a documentary filmmaker and he's in the middle of a, another one right now. But Brent and his uh, girlfriend at the time, Danielle, were trying to sort that out. And actually, and as they were sorting it out, they went to a wonderful church that had premarital counseling and they thought, well, maybe this will help us decide if we should ever get engaged and if it's marriage might be in our future and that kind of thing. And what happened was they got into the class and, and it only lasted a few weeks until they really felt pressure. They felt like most everybody in the class was already down the road on that. They had already made the engagement decision. So they were engaged And so it made sense to have premarital counseling, but uh, they had Brent and his girlfriend, Danielle, had not made that decision. They weren't even sure if it was actually going to be something for them in the future. And all they felt was pressure. Ah, interesting. That's what the class did. It just created pressure. Which is not good. No. (laughs) You want want light pressure. You don't want to be rushed. (laughs) That's the last thing you need. So it's nice to be able to sit with a couple and just say, hey, what's happening in your relationship? And... As you begin to go down the road of possibility, uh, what kind of things would you expect that that other person is going to need for you to be able to say, hey, maybe this could be um, married someday? See, this would have been uh, easier for us, John, if we had done this. It would have been helpful. <laughs> we um, would have not fumbled around perhaps as much. <laughs> you uh, have an analogy with uh, cars and engagement or pre-engagement, something about the gauges. So what, what was that analogy? Yeah, that analogy just is connected to the whole matter of, well, would you marry you? That question, mm-hmm. you know, one of the first questions we should ask is, are we the kind of person that someone would want to marry? Are you trying to be somebody you're not? Uh, mm-hmm. Are you growing? Are you changing? Let me just say it this way. Are you moving in a good direction? Well, that's fair. Now, how do the gauges help you decide that in a car? Well, in a car, <laughs> I, you know, when, when I bought my first car, I wanted gauges. I didn't want those lights. They called them idiot lights right. at the time. You not know? a good name. Yeah, not a good that, That's probably not something we use anymore. But <laughs> No, it's not a good name. <laughs> it's not. But the point is, is that with gauges, you could see if something's full or empty, essentially. And 
so how are your gauges spiritually? How are your gauges relationally? How are your gauges in your identity, your personal identity? Where are you at on the spectrum of, you know, somebody who's moving in a positive direction? Is your relationship strong when it comes to your relationship with God? What's your friendships like? What are they like? Are you somebody who's relational? Do you care about others? Do you ever even ask the question of, so what are you doing lately? You know, yeah. or is it all about you and you're constantly focused on you? Hmm. And uh, as a person, have you found your, your groove, your niche? Uh, you know, do you have any sense of where God is taking you? And those kinds of matters, I think, need to come into play. Man, some of those questions can be tough in your yeah. 20s. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I had those answers figured out at that point. But one thing uh, that is obvious is how much faith plays into that concrete foundation. I think Gene and I, with you know our normal ups and downs, we've been married 35 years, yeah. and it'll be 36 years. And I think when we both talk about this, I mean, faith has been the most critical aspect of our relationship. And I'm not just saying that, but it helps you through difficult times, through dark moments, um, you know, things that happen in the family, those kinds of things. I can't imagine... Uh, not having the right tank or the right gauge if Gene and I, if either of us weren't topped up when it came to our faith in Christ. That would be a very different experience. Absolutely. Well, my granddaughter and I were talking about this topic. She found out that I was going to be here to talk about the subject of engagement. I said, Haley, what's the most important thing that you would be She's out of high school now. She's out of high school. Okay. What's the most important thing you would be looking for in a guy? And she, without hesitation, said where he's at spiritually. Yeah. Because we need to be connected spiritually. I said, is that important? You would put that like at the top? Now, I would, <laughs> right. you know, but I was delightfully uh, surprised. So your adult children way. have done yeah. well in raising her, obviously. You know, so that was great. Yes. If you, you yeah. don't have the spiritual connection, you're all alone in this thing in a sense. Uh, your son, Brent, who co-authored the book with you, uh, he said he expressed or identified a need for a secure identity with his wife, Danielle. That, that's interesting, too, beginning to form your identity. Uh, what was he driving at with that comment? Yeah, I still remember him talking about that because he wanted to become the person that God wanted him to be. So he was, you know, at the time trying to sort that out in terms of the direction his life was going. He knew that he loved God. Uh, He knew that he had an interest in this girl. And he didn't want the relationship to pull him off track, so to speak, of where he felt that God was working in his heart and the direction that the Lord was potentially taking him. So he was pretty serious about, you know, getting an understanding of where she was in terms of her own sense of, well, this is what I feel like I have to contribute in a relationship, and this is who God's made me to be. How about you? you know, kind of yeah, thing. that's great. And those are good conversations to have. You also had a story in there about marriage goggles. What was that about? Yeah, that's Brent's language. And one of the things in the book is that he and Danielle, his girlfriend at the time. Now uh, his wife. They're now his wife. Yeah. So Make all sure through the book, the story. they were truly trying to sort this out. Uh, it wasn't just, let's, hey, let's write a book or something together. It was they were trying to sort it out. And even after the book was done, they still had to have time to sort it out. It may have been a year afterwards, and then they finally got engaged. And so 
it was wonderful. But one of the terms he used was marriage goggles, which basically could cause you to think that you have something that you don't. You know, it could sort of cloud your view of the other person. So you see them differently, or maybe you see them more as you really want them to be. Yeah. You know, that's called before marriage. (laughs) That's right. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. From the Kindred Brothers, creators of War Room and Fireproof comes Life Mark. When David Colton's birth mother unexpectedly reaches out, it leads to a staggering truth from his past. Always wondered if my biological parents think about me. She loved you, and I'm so glad that she made the choice that she did. Inspired by a true story, Life Mark. Starring Kirk Cameron and Alex Kendrick. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now playing. Theater and ticket information is available at lifemarkmovie.com. Your marriage has 12 essential traits, and the Focus on Marriage Assessment is designed to evaluate those traits and help you build a relationship that thrives. It's free and only takes about 10 minutes to complete. Based on the research and experience of Dr. Greg and Aaron Smalley, this assessment will help you and your spouse discover areas that are working well and things that could use improvement, like communication, conflict, and commitment. Go to FocusOnTheFamily.com assessment to get started. That's FocusOnTheFamily.com assessment. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Let's move to infatuation. That's part yeah. of the book. Um, you know, that's that's kind of how it goes, right? Uh, you know, I think psychologists would tell us that it starts with a notice mm-hmm. and a connection, mm-hmm. and then it moves to holding a hand, and then it continues down until hopefully you're married, and then you have more physical intimacy. But but talk about infatuation and how that's temporary in our brain chemistry. Boy, it's really good to know that, just like chocolate <laughs> is temporary too, right? So I think there's some kind of connection here chemically, but you got to give it time. I mean, you just have to give it time. And that's why it's so important to not get into the relationship with the physical. Uh, if you go down the physical road, it could cause you to believe that you have something that you really don't. You mean, as a result of moving down that road quickly or whatever it is, block the spiritual in your relationship. I mean, if you're a Christ follower, you've got to somehow do damage to your relationship with Christ if you're physically involved. You're compromising your beliefs and so forth. Uh, But you also are stunting the emotional because it may be that you aren't connecting emotionally at a deep level where you're really beginning to help one another and understand each other, be empathetic, and work through your challenges together in healthy ways. Yeah, and I, I, I so appreciate that because I think we hear from, you know, 20-somethings where, particularly the woman, you know, she has given in to what she knew what was right to do, but he talked me into it and we were going to get married, but guess what? It broke off and she gave everything mm-hmm. and the the marriage never happened. That's a fairly common descriptor, unfortunately. And so I, I just want to reemphasize the strength for both the men and the women not to give into that, to honor the Lord. And thankfully, Gene and I, we were able to do that. You know, it, it wasn't easy but we did it, and we didn't have those moments where we had to show regret. Mm-hmm. We kept it. I mean, I shook her hand for the first three or four dates because I wanted to send a message. This is what it's going to be about. But that's a great foundation, and I know it's hard. 
I know it because I experienced it. And I, but I just want to encourage young couples who are pre-engaged or thinking about it, don't fall prey to giving in to each other too soon. Save it for the wedding night. Let God give you that special present for your wedding night. It's a great way to go. Yeah, you know, I'm working right now with a couple where uh, they just have a wonderful friendship. And uh, if he could, I'm sure he would love to have a physical relationship with her than more than just a kiss. Yeah, that's or something. a normal desire. It totally is. Yeah. And but he's also not a Christ follower. Hmm. And we've had conversations where he is probing the spiritual area. You know, has a, an interest as a seeker, I guess. Uh, but he's still not there. And but she's holding the line. You know, she's fine with being a friend and that sort of thing. But she's made it absolutely clear this is a conviction for her, and she's not going to compromise and marry him or even get seriously into a relationship until, possibly, if it ever did happen, until he comes to faith in Christ. Yeah. Well, and I think, again, one of the one of the good things for us as men to remember is it shouldn't be the girl's responsibility to draw the line. Maybe we should draw it Yeah. in terms of our leadership. That sets the tone for the relationship, too. But again, I, I, let's move to you and Bernice. Let's go to personal experience. You had, uh, I think, a negative communication situation you know, where you had some difficulty communicating with each other, that me versus us kind of attitude. So what, what was going on and what was the revelation for you? Hmm. Yeah, there are many different revelations. <laughs> I've been married now for 46 years. So which one do you want to yeah, talk about? Yeah, start at the beginning you know, and work your way Me through. to us. That's <laughs> that the one. kind of thing. I know which one you're talking about. You're talking about my tendency to say to Bernice, where would you like to go for dinner? You know, that one. And I already had something in my mind. And if she didn't give me the locations that like I had fishing. in my mind. Yeah, that's, it wasn't really <laughs> fair conversation. Yeah. Uh, you know, I would say, well, how about, and she just finally got to the point of saying, listen, if you got something on your mind, would you just say it? You know, well, we don't good. want to go down this road of 14 guesses <laughs> and maybe we'll go there. Just Dave, come on. You were we? dead set on Mexican food, but you, she didn't know it. <laughs> that was it. So can we, can we improve our communication somehow? No, that's good. And that gets us to the five levels of communication. Uh, what are they? Yeah, and by the way, I should have known these when I got married, you know, and brought right. them back. Because this was like, I was a sociology major, and this was one of the books that we read that had to do with these different levels of communication. But still, uh, we can get hung up in them. Cliché conversations level five, which is nothing. You superficial. Know, yeah, superficial kind of conversation. Reporting the facts. Uh, is the second one, you know, hey, well, you know, I could go home and report the facts. Yeah, I, I took an airplane there and uh, it, I sat in Las Vegas for five hours. You got to be you know, kidding. I do have some feelings <laughs> about that. And but any, you know, reporting the facts, my ideas and judgments, level three. That is where we begin to talk about, you know, um, how do you really feel about COVID and what we should do right now? My ideas and judgments. No, we're not going to go down that road here. Kind of dangerous territory. <laughs> it maybe. sure is. But you get to know each other. Boy, you you find out a lot at that point. And then my feelings is level two, kind of gut level. I mean, now you're getting to more into the core of your being and how you feel about it. And that that's important. Uh, I need to know what you really feel. Bernice was expressing her feelings. She felt disrespected 
when I would say to her, so where do you want to go to have dinner? You know, but I had something in mind that um, right already you know, it didn't address her feelings and her, her desires. It addressed mine. Some me, 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 what you were saying. Mm-hmm. And level one, of course, is the most personal. It's just open, honest communication. So when she said to me, Dave, you know what? Why don't we just go wherever you want to go? You know, <laughs> that would be peak communication. <laughs> It came from her gut and her, you know, she's really just being candid. Well, and what you're describing is allowing somebody to challenge you too. And how important is that? Oh, that's an important part of a relationship. If you can't be challenged by this person that you are thinking about marrying someday, uh, you're going to miss out on what could be in your relationship. Yeah, and in that respect, I mean, what's interesting here, you're kind of laying out a roadmap, you and your son Brent, your co-author, laying a, a roadmap out, and you might want to be purposeful in creating some of this environment. So you're talking about important things. It's not haphazard, in other mm-hmm. words. You can talk about those five levels, but begin to include you know, the spiritual dimension. You got to start talking about that at some point. And, you know, uh, you're trying to clarify where a person is. I definitely am attracted to you. I look at you and I feel my heart race. That's good. That's the starting point. Right. But now we've got to start talking about what's underneath. What, who are you? How are you wired? And you do need to create environments where you can have those discussions. Yeah, you got to get to this level one. Truly, you got to be there. I love what you're suggesting there, Jim, because you're saying there are so many things that you need to know about each other uh, to be able to take that step of engagement working toward marriage. And, you know, it could be your value system. Certainly it means uh, communication has to be something that you can do. You've got to work through conflict. So many different areas. Yeah, and it's so good. And I, I guess infatuation, back to the rose-colored glasses mm-hmm. you were describing a while yeah. ago, if you go through your pre-engagement courtship, your dating time, and you're not driving toward that, I, I know young people who have said to me, that's a waste of time. I mean, why wouldn't we be purposeful, especially for the Christian, young Christian community who believe in Jesus? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I want to, if I'm going to date you, I'm dating you with a purpose. Mm-hmm. It's to find out whether or not we are meant for each other. And so then you can begin to uncover some of those things more quickly, perhaps. But I'm thinking of that infatuation particularly, because I would think young couples, they stay there. They don't go deeper. They've already said yes to the engagement. Now they're in premarital counseling. And now they're wobbly going, ah, I don't think I knew him in that context. Mm -hmm. What advice do you have for that couple that's in that spot? I mean, what if, you know, and Gene and I, in our premarital situation, we had about four couples that got up and walked out of the room at one point because they realized they weren't right for each other. That person did their job, that that instructor. Absolutely. Because that's what you're trying to sort out. And so for that, I'm just thinking of that woman, you know, that, 20-something woman that's sitting there and going, I don't know if this is right. Now, some of those EBGBs are normal, but how how does she really filter out, I don't think I should be at square three, I should be back at square one, and what do I do? Yeah, I think that's a yellow flag, if nothing else, right? It, It perhaps isn't a red flag saying, no, don't go forward. It could be the flag to say, 
wait, you've got to back up. You need to be cautious right now. There are things here that need to be sorted out. Colossians 3.15 says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And that word rule means to be the umpire. It was used to describe the umpire on the field, the one who had the final call. Well, peace or a lack of it could be what you uh, don't have right now. And if you have it, great, then keep moving forward. If you don't, uh, pause, yeah. go back and say, what is creating this disturbance in me? Don't ignore it because it may be a gift from God to protect you in terms of yeah, that's where you're going to end up. Yeah. In fact, you, you speak about three spiritual areas, beliefs, commitments, and practices. So hit those really quick. Yeah, this is so important because we say that we want to marry a Christian, and we should. And and I pray that we all do, that you do. You marry another a person who loves Christ. But that's not the only thing when it comes to uh, connecting spiritually. It's also your beliefs. It's also your practices, and it's also your convictions or your commitments. And so you need to explore all three of those areas. So you could both say, we're Christians, you know, you, and that's wonderful, but what about those practices? How does that translate into things that you will do then that will be a demonstration of your love for God? Are you going to go to church together? Are you going to give? Uh, are you going to be in a small group with others? You know, what is it? Are you going to do some Bible studies together? Do you pray together? All those kinds of practices and commitments. What level of commitment are you going to make in your relationship with God and with each other? It could be just a Sunday thing. Yeah, Dave, this has been so good. And again, uh, for the listener, the viewer, this is about helping, maybe not you, because you're married and you've already been there, but maybe it's your adult children or maybe even your grandkids, like uh, Dave was saying earlier. What a great resource before you get engaged. Uh, we're not talking about the commitment of engagement. We're talking about speaking to young people prior to that and what they're looking for in that hopefully lifelong spouse that they'll have especially wrapped in faith in Christ. And this is a great resource. So if you can help us financially, a, a monthly commitment is great, or a one-time commitment, uh, let us know. Uh, send that to us and ask for before you get engaged. And that'll be our gift and our way of saying thank you for being in ministry with us. Join the support team as you can. Donate uh, as the Lord leads and ask for your copy of that book before you get engaged when you call 800, the letter A, and the word family. 800-232-6459. Or uh, stop by our website, focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. You know, John, another resource, and if you know nothing about Focus on the Family, know this. We are a just a treasure house of resources. And so we have something else called Ready to Wed, which is a pre-marriage mm -hmm. curriculum. Mm -hmm. And the research is great. If a couple has 10 hours or more of premarital counseling, their chance of divorce is very small. I mean, it is a great way to kick off their relationship. Mm. Yeah, ask about Ready to Wed when you get in touch. And again, our phone number, 800, the letter A, and the word family. Dave, thanks again. This has been terrific. Thank you. My honor. Mm. Well, on behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once more help you and your family thrive in Christ. You're listening to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We'll take a quick break here and then return with another faith-building program for your family. Stay tuned.
At Focus on the Family, we know you want to see your grandchildren follow Christ. Here's how you do that. The Legacy Grandparenting Summit, the only national conference on Christian grandparenting. Coming to over 100 locations on October 20th and 21st. You'll find wisdom, direction, and inspiration from speakers including Anne Graham Lotz and Miles McPherson. Register now for the Legacy Grandparenting Summit at LegacyCoalition.com summit. Your son's more than handsome. He does need to hear that he's handsome. Mom and dad need to tell him. But think of all of the other ways. You're so creative. You're so empathetic. The, you're so thoughtful, like things that they actually do. Let's pick some way better adjectives. That's Justin Holcomb, and he and his wife, Lindsay, join us today on Focus on the Family. Thank you for being part of the program. Uh, your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. John, you know, children today, uh, they're just deluged with criticism, I think. You look at the way that uh, in elementary school even, uh, how kids start ridiculing each other, teasing each other, etc. And some of that, I think, is put into the old bucket of just that's the way it is, that's how kids treat each other. But we have to remember, uh, it doesn't end anymore when school ends because of social media, that ridicule, that embarrassment just keeps coming if you're one of those kids that maybe doesn't have what it takes at that age, whatever that might be. I remember for me in junior high, I remember I just had freckles on the back of my legs and going to swim class was so embarrassing to me because mm-hmm. everybody would point it out. Look at his freckles. Mm-hmm. I don't know why that should be a problem, but I think being Irish, that's kind of normal. But uh, those are the kinds of things that kids need to be equipped to deal with today. And we're going to talk about how to help your children be better equipped to know that they're made in the image of God. Mm, Yeah, and Justin and Lindsay Holcomb will offer some great insights for parents. Justin is a minister and professor of theology at Reformed Theological Seminary and Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. And Lindsay is an advocate for survivors of abuse. Uh, She works in a nonprofit development uh, role and co-founded REST, which stands for Real Escape from the Sex Trade. Justin and Lindsay have two daughters, and together they've authored this wonderful children's book uh, that we'll be talking a little bit about today called God Made Me in His Image, Helping Children Appreciate Their Bodies. And you can find out more at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast or call 1-800-THE-LETTER-A-AND-THE-WORD-FAMILY. Justin and Lindsay, welcome back to Focus on the Family. Good to have you. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation back. It's always good to be here with you all. All right. So like I set the program up there a moment ago, I think with junior high and high school particularly, we're kind of acclimated to the fact that can be those can be tough years with a lot of ridicule about your body type and body image issues. Your point is it's happening at younger and younger ages. So describe how this is becoming more of an issue for children in elementary school. Well, first, I, I love the fact that you started out with a boy story because yeah. most people think this is you know a girl's oh. issue type of thing so you want I, more i love <laughs> that's the thing all people could be telling stories like that because oh, we yeah. all have that experience all of us do and it does start at a very early age so the the number one concern for six to eight year olds is body image at least half mm. of children that is so are, sad to hear that yes six to eight i i that's wasn't even thinking about first that really. second they're little so what's contributing to that? Why are children now more aware of their body image than 20 years ago? One of the things that we have found in the research and just conversations we've had with parents is a lot of it goes back to their moms, how the mothers talk about their own body image and their own concerns. And children are so 
they are just observe the children are observing everything that their parents say and they're soaking it all in like sponges so if they hear their mom talking about certain insecurities when it comes to their body then it makes them question i wonder what's wrong with me even at a young age of kindergarten first second third grade um, some of the research is showing that girls and boys are very concerned about their body image. It can happen so early. Approximately 80% of all 10-year-old girls have dieted at least once. That's that's amazing. And 10 years of age, that's fourth grade. That's yeah. heartbreaking. Isn't it? Yeah. That really is sad. Well, that it, And that's perhaps the most shocking thing is, you know, we used to talk about airbrushing, the models, the whole thing like that. But now that boys and girls in elementary school are experiencing these kinds of comparisons, you actually noticed it in your two girls, right, mm-hmm. Lindsay? I mean, you have younger kids, 11 and 13. And they were, how, how did they respond to this? And did you wake up at one point and go, oh, we've, we've got to stop saying this or that? Or did you self-correct or hear yourself saying some things that caught your attention? That's a good question. Well, actually, they would come home from school kind of telling us, you know, because they, they're more petite on the petite side, just from Justin. Also known as short. Short. <laughs> Justin's mom <laughs> is short. His sister's short. My mom is short. I am on the shorter side. And so they would come home and share with us at dinner, you know, so-and-so called me short. And this would be in fifth grade and it's it just would be ongoing and so we would just enter into that conversation with them of just how does that make you feel kind of where do you think that's coming from how can we frame your and shift your thinking about how you're made in the image of God and how does that counteract what this child's saying to you? But also, I think what we have found is any part of a child's body is up for scrutiny. Oh, yeah. And so how can we as parents, how can we come alongside them and give them tools to think through these harmful, hurtful things that they're hearing? Because they're going to hear things about their body. They're going to hear things about other people, um, whether it's through, like Justin listed, TV, music, social media. But parents, we need to be on the on the front end of this and giving them context how to think through this as a Christian. Let me ask you um, and get into it to equip the parents, really. What's the fundamental truth from Scripture to teach kids about their uh, body image? H- how do we get that out of Scripture? God made you in his image and humans made in the image of God. There's nothing in all creation that reflects God better than a human who is in the image of God. And there's inherent worth in that. And God made you on purpose the way you are, and he wants you in his world. Like, that's a message that undermines that silly cultural, you're not measuring up. Your creator is bestowing to you your identity. Right, and that's a big bucket. I mean, when you get down to the expression of that in humanity, you have tall people, short people, big people, small people, everything (laughs) we're talking about, freckles. You know, yeah. so what does that mean, you know, really applicably to be made in God's image? What are the nitty gritty nuts and bolts of that? Well, you're, you're gifting how you're gifted. God, God. So in Genesis, God said, here's a garden and I want you to cultivate this garden. There's things for you to do, multiply and have dominion. And, and then, and that's the gift and, and the idea of being the image of God. I mean, the idea comes from the ancient Near East because I am a seminary professor and this made it into the this book. This is good. I know you want You got to teach the kids because it's all based on a doctrine of creation. There was nothing and God wanted something to exist. And he really wanted humans to exist because when he talks about creating things on day one, two, three, four, it's good. Get the humans. It's good, good. It's tov, tov in Hebrew. And what what happened is, uh, Moses, writing Genesis, looked around and saw all these kings who would erect statues about themselves to honor themselves and set up their statues all around their kingdom. So Moses, inspired by God, says, 
that's what image of God looks like. God is setting up images of himself all around because God wants more images to fill mm. the earth and glorify him. And, and this is a picture that this is God's world. And so here's a garden cultivated. And so what it means is that the multi-ethnic multitude that you see in Daniel and in Revelation 5 about people from different tongues, languages, tribes, nations glorifying God, that's the fulfillment of the original call from being the image of God. I'll bring that down to the, the, that's helpful to see because then children start seeing all the diversity and difference and go, wait a second, taller, shorter, slender, larger, different colored skin, freckles, all of that. And I guess that's the human thing though. We get locked into this is the image of God Mm. yes, rather than the variety of God's image in people, right? Whether, I mean, think about it, skin color. It's such a ridiculous thing, meaning why does that define so much of our, uh, you know, interaction between races, et cetera? Because it's just pigmentation, right? In every culture, every culture yeah. has something about a sliding scale on how light or dark one's skin is. You know, every so we, we've been in Africa a few times, and, and the way people would talk about darker colored skin versus right. lighter colored black skin is so every culture has that dimension. Do you think that's rooted in our sin nature? That the that we pounce on differences Absolutely. rather than embrace differences that are irrelevant really to our humanity. So yeah, when you have when you have the good creation set up and you have sin invading and vandalizing the peace of the garden, what you end up seeing is is people become inward turned and inward focused. We were created to worship God and to love our neighbor. And as soon as sin enters the world, you have people doing bad worship, you know, Cain and Abel, and then you have exploiting of other people. And so what I think happens is that we have this curved inward nature where we focus on ourselves. And there's actually a a sociological principle called the homogeneous unit principle. All that means is people like to be around people who are like them. And you start seeing that in churches and cultures and neighborhoods. But that is, that's a whittling down of the wonderful scope of possibilities of reflections of the image of God to, well, people who are 48 white men are the people who I'm most comfortable with. And and so I think that's part of the problem is that sin ends up getting our focus back on ourselves and not the original plan that God had for his good creation. Let's stick with culture for just a minute. How has our culture made it easier for kids to, let's talk about exclude one another? How does the culture feed into that? When you have a celebrity culture, let's... Right, which where we have, yeah. which hmm. we're in the throes of, and and I'm shaped by it too. That's the thing; it's not just the children, but I start paying attention to who the famous people are and what they look like. I have that voice in my head that says, "Well, you're not so and so, and you don't you don't step up to to that um, standard." So when you have a celebrity culture that celebrates peripheral, secondary things that are not really that important, wealth, airbrush, good looks. Uh, and letting people get shaped without calling that out. That's the thing that the most powerful thing a parent can do, I think, is stop the movie and go, hold on, let's talk about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's, let's, let's pull the rug out from underneath the lie of what our culture is telling you about your worth. That's the opposite. You're not worthy because you did this, look like this, said this, didn't say this. You're worthy because of who you are and who God made you to be. Mm-hmm. And so I think finding those moments to to point out the lie that's whispering in our children's ears. And then, which is what Lindsay's so good at, is, is pointing out where we're vulnerable. She'll, she'll frequently re- remind the girls, hey, 
you know, we weren't always successful. <laughs> we, we, this this took decades to get to in the sense of being comfortable with our own vulnerability and, and talking about putting, showing them what it looks like to say the truth about ourselves where we feel insecure or weak to each other and to the girls. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. Your marriage resources, your adventures and odyssey stories, Focus was a constant influence. There are thousands of stories just like that from Focus on the Family's legacy community. Folks who leave a legacy gift through their will, trust, or other estate planning tool. You helped us have the gift of a godly family. Use your resources to help families thrive for generations to come. Find out more at FocusLegacyCommunity.com. That's FocusLegacyCommunity.com. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Lindsay, let me pick up on that because it's touching this issue of empathy. And in preparation for the show, I was doing some research. And I think it was University of Michigan analyzed um, from 2010, did some research and analyzed the results. They found a 40% decline in college students' ability to empathize. And they were saying it was directly related to technology, that we've kind of become coarse because uh, because of social media. Absolutely. We're just constantly ridiculing each other. And it just kind of deadened that ability to have empathy for others. It, it, that that's a right. very <laughs> concerning issue, isn't it? That is. That's a sad, sad number. But that does make sense. Because if the more time you're on your screen, whether that's texting or on social media, the less you are engaging just in conversation and learning how to have those social skills. Another thing that parents can equip their children with, how do you even engage technology in a way that you can be empathetic and encouraging, but going back to those basic skills of how to have conversations. But like I go back to, kids are watching. I was even shocked when I see some of my adult friends, the things that they will post on Facebook. And they feel so brazen to post a comment that is hurtful, that whether it's to like a certain people group or a political group, and I'm like, goodness, you would never say this to someone's face. But the kids are watching that, they're reading it, they're hearing about it. And going back to parents setting good examples, not criticizing other people or bodies, if we go back to the body example, if children see their parents judging other people based on appearance or thoughts or you know lifestyle, then they are going to pick up on those things as, as well. How can we as parents teach our children to think critically, but also compassionately as Christians, as children of God? Give us an example that it really helps, because sometimes we're, we're kind of deaf and blind to this too, because we're just moving through the day. As parents, we may not even know how we are expressing that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, let's go back. I want to, adjectives is what gets my attention, because this has been something that has uh, annoyed me is watching online, but also just watching in conversations. I started noticing in a span of a week, as I'm scrolling through, you know, social media comments about boys and girls. Oh, this is my, my daughter. She's so beautiful. My son is so handsome. He, he's a stud lady killer. I mean, just things that I'm thinking, <laughs> what are you saying? First wow. of all, you look ridiculous about saying this just in, about your kid, but the fact that that's what their children are seeing and that's, what's being prioritized. And I just asked everyone, I was like, can we please find different adjectives, please? Because my daughters, my, one of the most powerful things I can do for my daughters in a culture that's going to make them feel ugly, short, big eyebrows, whatever. I mean, the culture and their friends are going to bestow to them an identity 
one of the most powerful things as dad with my dad voice is look at them and say, you're beautiful. They need to have a category of a dad saying that to them. But if all I'm saying to my daughters is you're beautiful, I'm making that their worth. The way they, the way they get my attention is by being beautiful. And so I started at an early age going through and I was like, and this is from Lindsay going, that's great, but they're also beautiful, sweet, smart, and strong. So I, you're so strong. You're, so trying to find other ways. You're adventurous. You're courageous. Your son's more than handsome. He does need to hear that he's handsome. Mom and dad need to tell him. But think of all of the other ways. You're so creative. You're so empathetic. The, you're so thoughtful, like things that they actually do. Let's pick some way better adjectives. Mm-hmm. And maybe the reason that we're picking the adjectives that we're picking is because maybe I'm secure about how I look. You know, maybe I don't like my receding hairline and my big eyebrows or my gray beard. Like maybe, maybe that's infiltrating. Maybe some self-awareness on the parents' side would be really helpful for their parents, for their kids. There was one story that Lindsay and I experienced of it was during the summer and a mom and dad with our kids were out at the pool and the husband complimented his wife and said, oh, it's summertime. It's bathing suit time. Yeah. He was kind of making a joke about, you know, bathing suit time. I get and to see you in a bathing suit. Get to see in a bathing suit. Yeah. And the mom grabbed her side and grabbed where she thought there were fat rolls that she wasn't happy with in front of her children and our children and said, oh, you think these fat rolls are attractive? And just did that. And I thought, ooh, hmm. there's a voice in her head that's really powerful for her to think as a go-to impulse to do that in front of her husband who just complimented her and in front of her children and in front of our children. Like we, we addressed it pretty quickly. We were like, whoa, 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 hold on a second here. And we pulled the girls aside and had to talk about that. But there's something going on. Either, either she's feeling burdened from the culture Maybe she wasn't complimented as a child. Maybe she experienced some type of abuse where that would be a, a, a common way to respond about her own comfort and her own skin. So I do think that the, one of the most powerful things that parents could do is to address their own sense of their own security and, and body image. I think that'll go yeah. a long way with parents. It's, it's so good and so true. And that's what you're trying to do is build up that child's uh, sense of self-worth as well. And that, that, that is healthy. You don't want them to be conceited, obviously, or have too much sure. pride. But to be confident is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about those children? They may have physical impairment. I mean, we're kind of cruising along the way here that we're all prince and princesses, mm-hmm. um, you know, fully capable of things. There are parents who have children that, you know, they don't walk the same, they don't talk the same, they don't look the same. How does that parent provide that child with the hope that they are too made in God's image and they need to be confident in that? Well, I think two things. One, if you're the parent of a child with a physical disability, you have such a role to play of reminding him or her that those physical impairments do not negate their worth as a child of God. And so walking them through that as an image bearer, um, it doesn't diminish any of the other qualities God has given them. And so that's one part. But then the second part is a parent who has a child who doesn't have a physical impairment, you have an even greater role to guide and instruct your children to see others with compassion, like you were talking Mm, earlier with empathy. How can you really train up your kids? Hey, when you see someone with a physical disability or with a mental disability, how can you engage with them? What are some things you can do? Go up and say hi, go up and, you know, ask them questions and kind of you can practice that a little bit. So they're not pointing or what's that? 
um, but yeah. really on the front end, get ahead of it and explain to them, you might see some children that have trouble walking or in a wheelchair or maybe um, have trouble with loud noises. We're going to see a lot more children um, as we already are just with symptoms of autism, you know, and the spectrum is wide, yeah. but really helping our kids to understand how to engage with that rather than pointing, but really reminding them they are made in the image of God. They are an image bearer. They have inherent worth, no matter their disability. They are not an accident, an oops. You know, they are just as important with so many qualities. Yeah, it's really good. At the very end here, I, I do want to discuss bullying because that mm -hmm. seems to be a, you know, really horrific situation for some kids. That's something with my boys, I would ask them frequently. I think Gene would even say, man, I, you maybe ask him too often. <laughs> but I wanted to make sure they were in a good place. I guess that's a better criticism that we never talk to them about it. Um, so I would every two, three weeks. Are you guys doing okay? You know, are you getting bullied? Are you bullying anybody? I put it both directions. Amen. And, you know, I think they did well. I, I, they never said that they were or that they had. And so I think that's a good thing. But how would you recommend a parent engage their children with the issue of bullying, wow. either as the recipient or the giver? Absolutely. Well, I think your checking in is, is spot on. Like you did it perfectly. Oh, I don't you know, know about that, you but did. consistently. I think, I think consistently checking in, you know, asking who did you eat lunch with today, who you hanging out with, get to know their friends, um, you know, invite them over, but checking in on both ends. Like, you know, are you making anyone feel excluded? Are you leaving anyone out? Um, ask them, you know, who seems to be kind of on their own. And then that kind of gives you yeah, a gauge of, of some people in there, yeah. kind of just so you have a pulse um, kind of on the, on the situation at school. But if your child comes to you and says, I'm being bullied, um, definitely I would encourage parents to take it seriously. Like don't just, oh, it's just a, a phase or, you know, you'll get stronger, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Don't do that. Um, there's a couple of things um, we would encourage parents to focus with their children on, of course, let's talk about your worth. Let's go back to the basics, what we've been talking about. Who Whose child are you? Where, where you know, kind of get your foundation set. Um, you're made in the image of God, reminding them of the positive attributes that they have. So that's a great place to start. Then also make a plan. You know, let's talk about a good plan. Like who are some people you can seek out that you think are safe and kind, whether that's teachers or other students? Um, who can we go and talk to? Because you want your child to feel like you're advocating for them and you're hearing them and not just passing this off. You know, what are some things your child can do, especially if they're at a certain age? How can they advocate for themselves while you also come alongside them? So I would say, you know, middle school and high school, like, OK, who can you seek out as a teacher to go and talk to? You know, in our school, it's copy me on the email as a parent, just that's our safety protocol at the school. But let's go and talk to the headmaster. Let's go and talk to the principal together. Let's make a plan so that your child knows this is serious. This isn't something that my parent is just going to pass off. Because I think what happens so often when we don't talk about things, our kids feel like, well, they don't get it or it's a nuisance to them, or they won't understand, so I'm not going to bring it up. So if you're showing your kid, yes, I do think this is serious, I'm concerned, you know, I want better better options for you, let's think through this and make a plan of what can be practical. The advocating is what stood out to me from learning of watching Lindsay with the girls. I would want to get in there and protect, kind of do my thing, and, you know, who's going to, like, I'll step in. But what she did was she would advocate but she would empower them to find their voice, to figure out how they're going to talk about it with their teacher and then be looped in. It wasn't all or nothing. And that's what was really fun to watch is thinking, well, I, yeah, this is how you disciple your children and to and parent them mm -hmm. into actually finding their own voice. And my way would have been really strong on the advocating, but not in the empowering. 
But I think across the board, something that we have noticed anecdotally is we we encourage other parents connected to our children and in our church, advocate for them, take this seriously. That's what's heartbreaking is going, Some we know what another child just said to your child and how devastating that looked. Please advocate for your child. They, they need you, and, it's, and not to dismiss it, um, to... Hey, this is just what kids do. This is part of growing up. It'll it'll toughen them up a little bit. Sure, yeah. life is going to toughen them up. Life's got a lot of toughening up moments. What they need at that point. I mean, we had one story where there was a, a racist comment said to a child, and our daughter, because she already had her voice, knew how to respond. That was amazing. Yeah. Like watching her in the moment respond appropriately because she saw someone else's nervous laughter. She said, Dad, what? she was laughing, but they were saying really mean things. What do you think? I said, what do you think? She said, it looked nervous. It looked like she was trying to hide something. I thought, she sees it. Like, mm-hmm. that's the empathy mm-hmm. that, yeah. that they learn primarily from their mom, just really diving in, being really gifted in that way. Yeah. So. And I think that's, that's when you know you've actually hit the mark as a parent, mm-hmm. when your kids can express that empathy, engage in those conversations. And those are really good moments. And you go, okay my kid's heart mm. leans in the right direction, right? Absolutely. doesn't mean it's perfect, you know, that they're always going to make the right decision. But when you see them having empathy for their friends or for people that are being ridiculed or shamed, that's a good moment. Man, this has uh, been terrific. And again, the book, uh, God Made Me in His Image, Helping Children Appreciate Their Bodies, really aimed at 2- to 10-year-olds. It r- sets the foundation for your children to better understand what God intended for us in this life and equips them to do better in their relationships in elementary school and junior high, high school, homeschool, doesn't matter. It just helps them to do better. Thanks for being with us today. I really appreciate it. Mm. Thanks for having us on. Mm. Thank you. And thank you, thank you for the questions, but also the, the heartbeat of oh, you, sure. all, you all drill down to, it's nice because it's not just the stats and the scary stuff, but getting down to the, the heart of the children and the parents. It makes it a lot more fun to have that conversation. But I hope people will engage. And uh, if you can order a copy from Focus on the Family, remember, we're not paying shareholders. All that goes right back into ministry, which is great. And if you can make a monthly gift, that's wonderful. It helps keep the budget steady. Or a one-time gift is fine, but if you make either of those, we'll send you a copy of the book as our way of saying thank you for joining us in ministry. Yeah, donate today to get a copy of this great book, Uh, God Made Me in His Image. It'll further your conversations with your kids. Our number is 800, the letter A in the word family, or stop by focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. And while you're online, be sure to take a few minutes and fill out our free parenting assessment. We'll link over to the website for that. Uh, It is a really helpful little tool to uh, equip you with knowledge of where you're strong in your parenting and maybe in the area or two of growth. Very practical, and we'll send follow-up articles and resources to help you uh, grow as a mom or a dad. Again, the link for our parenting assessment is on the website. On behalf of Jim and the team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ. Christ.